Chip. I'm so happy that I get to share God's word with you today. I mean, I know that in unsettled times, we really need God's word. So thank you for being here. Um, it's not easy to preach to an empty sanctuary. And so we have people all through all three sections. So praise God for that. And for those of you that are online, it's really uh, an honor that we get to come into your home or your car or your phone. So if you don't mind, just say hello to us on those comments and we want to know who you are. But I, I have totally have a sermon that's messed up. You know, I wrote the sermon like 10 days ago, but life was a lot different 10 days ago. So that review that you get handed, or if you're on version, just ignore that, all right? It's no good to you right now. So we're starting over with a new message. And today's message is called Responding to the Astounding, because I think we're all astonished about what we're facing. And these are historic days. And no matter the outcome, it is historic And we will look back and say, and remember these days, hopefully through prayer and through preventative measures, uh, we will succeed at preventing the spread of the coronavirus, and it won't be uh, the severity as some have predicted. And that's my hope. I was uh, doing God's work Wednesday night at Bridgestone Arena at the SEC tournament. Um, while some of you were discipling children at Awana and discipling teenagers, the senior pastor, I snuck off and uh, kind of kept the tradition with my sons. Um, and, and we go to the SEC tournament. Wednesday was the only night we could go. Lincoln actually went to youth service first and uh, Luke skipped youth service, but oh, well, yeah, he's a senior. So he had, he had a senior skip at youth service, uh, but I'll never forget that night because the, the news kept coming in and, and we, we were sports oriented people. And so hearing that um, there were going to be no fans at the basketball game to then there's no season. And that's very minor uh, compared to the real issues of the day. So it's an unforgettable time. And it's something I never would have predicted um, that Broadway is closed. And if you have concert tickets to other entertainment venues. Those are closed. You know what's going on. I don't have to tell you, but I want to give historical context that we will remember these days. So these are significant days. This is not just some minor issue that we'll forget about. I mean, our economy is very fragile. So this is a time where we need prayer, where we need instruction. Uh, There are a few still alive who remember December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, There's some who remember November 22nd, 1963, when President Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, I remember in 1986 when the Challenger exploded uh, and we lost those astronauts. Um, Many of us remember September 11th, 2001. And though we don't have a defining date right now, and hopefully we won't have a a one day that's defining, we we will not forget this time. And and so I, I want to go to a scripture where God's people had an astounding experience like we've had these last few days. And and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. That's our main text today. And we're going to look at the story of when God delivered uh, his people out of Egypt, out of 400 years of bondage and slavery. And let me talk to you about the Old Testament and how we apply the Old Testament So we can use, the Old Testament is literal when we believe that these stories actually happen. I want to be very clear about that. But for centuries now, 
we've seen meaning beyond what was just reported in the story. And the first place we always look, and you'll see, is the meaning of the gospel. Jesus is embedded in the scripture. Jesus is inside the stories. And you're going to see Jesus is inside this story of how God delivered his people from the bondage of Egypt. But also, we believe that we can use allegory to find spiritual meaning out of real stories. And I believe that there is spiritual meaning that we can apply from what God did for the Jewish people when they were in Egypt. And it can be a guiding um, inspiration, a call for his presence, an understanding of his involvement for the days ahead for us uh, globally. It's not really an American issue. It's a global issue. So God's people, God's believers, we're gathered here today. We're, we're looking to scripture. We're looking to God because we need his help. So I'm gonna give you four points. Now, these are four points that are not written anywhere on the review. They're not on um, NU version. So you're gonna have to write them down and so I'm gonna repeat them frequently because I think they're important. We don't have some of the visual aids we normally do because this is a sermon God gave just yesterday. And so here we go. Here's the first one. And the first point I'm gonna tell you is gonna rattle you. So you're ready? Like you're gonna go, oh no. There's gonna be something inside of you that's gonna be like, I don't wanna hear this. But, But stick with me here. Because we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of walk this out together. Here's my first point. Follow instructions. I heard one amen in the house. Everyone else kind of groaned internally. So I want us, as we look to the days ahead, I want us to see the balance as God's people, of people of conviction. We are people of conviction. But we're also people of cooperation. And those are not opposed. Conviction and cooperation are not enemies most of the time. And there, there are times, and we'll see that, where civic disobedience has its place because God's word is always above any law of man. But most of the time, the majority of the time, when we identify that our leaders are trying to do their best as frail men and women, when we cooperate with them, God is glorified and, and things seem to go better. Now, here we have God's people as we're looking at this as an allegory to our days ahead, our days in the present. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse one. This is Exodus chapter 12, starting with, with verse one. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Now here is a phrase I want you to see. If you're here at CIL, you can see this is underlined on the screen. Tell the whole community. Now, what is this right here? This is instruction. This is at the beginning of verse verse, uh, two or verse three, excuse me. Tell the whole community, communicate. Tell the whole community of Israel, and here's some specific instructions. And, and those aren't as important for you right now, but we're going to read them because it's God's word. That on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's family, one animal per family. So this is specific instructions. Now let's go down to verse 11 
for the sake of brevity, we'll skip down to verse 11. And, and here is what I want you to see in this scripture. This is Exodus 12, verse 11. This is very specific instructions, like detailed instructions. Here is how you must eat it, the Passover. Now, let me just give some commentary before I read on. Guys, lunch and dinner are very sacred and holy to me. That's my time. I like food. I like to eat what I want, when I want, how I want to eat it. So right there, I told you this is going to be a tough point. I told you point number one is going to be tough. But I want you to see here is that God used leadership in this instant to give very specific directions. Very, very specific directions. And so he he tells them in verse 11, you must be dressed for travel. You must your sandals, uh, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hands, you are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. The point here is not the specific instructions as much as the point, the fact that there were specific instructions. And it was very specific towards that night when the, the death angel was passing over the people. Very specific to an astonishing event. And I just want to place in our minds that we don't know what the next few weeks hold. But we do know is that there could come times that from our civic leaders, government leaders, from your boss, from even our church community, there could be specific instructions that feel unusual. There, there could be specific requests. And how many know there's a difference between a request, a suggestion, and a mandate? And, and we have to look at those things too. But there, there's going to be possibly specific instruction. And I know there's part of us that are like, I don't want to do anything my leaders say. I don't want to trust my leaders blindly. We don't want to do that. And I, I know this is that because there has been an abuse of power historically and even in our lives, and we believe as here American citizens and individual liberties, we don't want people telling us what to do. We surely don't want people telling us when to eat, how to eat. And if we're going to eat, we're going to kick off our sandals, right? So I want to open up the possibility that God could be speaking to us in the future through established authority. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Again, this is not the most popular scripture for those of us who enjoy civil liberties that are our rights, and I'm not trying to suggest they're not. In fact, one of the most disturbing parts of this whole coronavirus episode is the oppression in China. And, and I just think that uh, some of what I saw in the media reports was just inhumane. And so there is the balance that our leaders have from trying to control the spread of a potential virus and respecting us as individuals. So there, there's a great tension in these men and women. And so I want us to be in a posture of prayer for them. Today is a national day of prayer that has been called upon by the federal government and our leaders and the president. We, we want to be in a posture of prayer because these are tough decisions. And, and it's always easy to, to second guess, but let's proactively pray for people who are in authority over us. Now look at Romans chapter 13, starting with verse one. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities 
since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Verse two, so then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Verse three of Romans 13, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wanna be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. Verse four, here's a very powerful servant. For it is God's servant for your good. What is God's servant for your good? They're saying government is and the rulers. Now, I, I, I can just feel the angst in this room. I can feel it coming through the Facebook right now, our Facebook. It was once called the Facebook, but now it's just Facebook. So I was technically right. So this scripture, Romans 13, has historically been abused. And I I want to just acknowledge that. It's been abused by the church. It's been abused by earthly governments. It's been abused even by homeowners associations who create bylaws to oppress us. So good leadership, great leadership is an extension of God's heart. And I will rightfully admit to you, we don't often see that. But when Jesus gets involved, we're gonna see it more. So you're a leader somewhere, somehow, even if you don't see it now, you are a leader, someone's looking up to you. And and you can express God's heart. You can express God's character. And and then when, when the kingdom has come, when the kingdom is established, there is this, Reciprocal relationship where it is leadership leads well and then people submit to leadership. And I understand it doesn't always work that way. But as kingdom people, we want to look for that beautiful relationship when it is in operation best. And so it is that we live out our convictions. But as we live out our convictions, we cooperate. Now, if there's ever a time when the request for cooperation violates your conviction, God's word is always more powerful than the law of the land. And I just wanna be clear about that. God's word is our highest standard. And that's why I love the United States of America because it's designed for us to be able to freely follow scripture without government intrusion. It's for us to It's designed, our religious liberties is for us to gather and to pray and for us to live out scripture and to freely be everything God's called us to be. And that's why our country has been a great gift to this world and I pray it continues to be. So I just want to open up the mind of possibility. Like let us us live our convictions, but when possible, let's cooperate and let's, let's not be so suspicious because these men and women who are making decisions have a lot of pressure. And even if they miss it and overreact, um, I think they're doing it out of love or out of concern. And that's my take on it. And I think Romans 13 helps me. And I think about Exodus 12, those people heard after 400 years in Egypt, Moses said, what, we're gonna do what? (laughs) These are astounding times. These are times we haven't seen. Let these scriptures be a guide for you. Here's point number two. Point number one was follow instructions. That was a tough one. All right, this is the one that is a little more palatable to us. 
Number two, gather your people. Write it down, gather your people. This is one of the opportunities we have in a time of crisis or perceived crisis. If it's a perceived crisis, we have an opportunity to gather the people that we love. Verse three, we'll read it again, but we'll read it with new eyes extended into verse four. Tell the whole community of Israel, we're back in Exodus 12, that on the 10th day of the month, they must select an animal of the flock according, now look, this is what I want you to see here, according to their father's families. So there's, there's a recognition of, of family, of tribe, of the sense of, this sense of natural community that happens when families are put together. They're put together through marriage. They're put together through adoption. They're put together through fostering. They're put together uh, through natural means. This, these natural families and, and God designed these families because we do have a responsibility. I want to be clear. We have a responsibility to take care of our relatives. So as we go into crisis, think about your relatives Think about those who are vulnerable around you. Think about those who are close to you. Think about whether they're the elderly, the disabled, uh, the uninformed children. Think about them. Gather these families together and it gives specific instructions, one animal per family. Now, moving on into verse five or verse four, excuse me. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. So here's what I'm suggesting here. And, and, and again, these scriptures are just, it's an old story that is giving us a guiding principle today. The guiding principle is take care of your relatives, but also take care of those who don't have enough relatives. Like, Yes, take care of your family, but also take care of an extended family. And I love what's happening in our culture right now, that despite the, the fear many are experiencing, I'm seeing the goodness of God reflected in people because I'm hearing about and reading about things like this. Make sure to check on neighbors. Make sure to check on the nursing homes. Make sure if you're able to buy extra food for people in need. You see, this is where opportunity is. Because when we are in a crisis, it breaks us out of our selfishness and we begin to see with new eyes. And so I just say, come on, gather the people you love. Gather the people you love. I, you know, I'm not happy necessarily. I, I'm not critical, but I'm not happy that my daughter's college is closed till the end of March but I am happy that she came home Friday and she's watching online right now because she has a little sniffle. I am happy that she's home. I'm happy that, that all three of Beth and mine chicks, our children, our tough, tough guys and a girl are, are in our house. We're, like, we're close together. We're, we're, we're close together. We have proximity together. I did take some food to my mom and so did my sister and so did my brother. My mom has all kinds of food now. What was cool about that was not just delivering the food that because my schedule's a little different now, more stuff is canceled. There's less basketball to watch. All right, there's, there's just less stuff happening. Mom and I had a nice conversation because in the middle of the crisis, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for 
friendship. There's an opportunity for conversation. There's an opportunity to change the pace. Like this crazy life of rush, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. Circumstances have rattled us. And no, no, we don't want those circumstances, but God works in those circumstances. So even in um, containment and quarantine, there's glory there because we're relational people. And though they're calling for social distance, that doesn't mean social isolation. I say, let's use this time to engage relationally in relationships we haven't had in a while. You know, I've had some interaction with people from my past and it's been a check-in. This happened after the tornado. Thank God, the tornado of March 3rd, I wasn't affected. Let's not forget those who were. But even though you know geographically that Hendersonville, Gallatin were safe, people back in Texas didn't know. People in Kansas where I lived for a few years didn't know. So I'm getting, I'm getting all kinds of texts from Kansas. From, hey, you guys okay? Has anything happened? And even though it was tragic and even though it was bad, I would never ask for that to happen. God worked relationally through that tragic event. And, and so I want you to see we're relational people. Like maybe, you know, I've seen some families that are here together at church today that normally don't get to go to church together. Uh, there's, there's travel patterns that are changing. I didn't think I'd see Abby till May here in Hendersonville and I got to see her this weekend. This, this, is, this is where we see that we're relational people. That's why Pastor Chip read the scripture as our opening scripture, but I'll read it again. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine through 12. Let's not forget the community. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. So guys, I, I don't wish, I did not wish upon our area this natural tragedy of the tornado. But can I just tell you that the pastors that I was in relationship with, we worked together in a, in a concert, in communication, in love, in a way that honored God. And I want you to know that in the coming days, even though our pace will change, even though our patterns will change, even though vacations will get canceled, even though there's things that you thought you were gonna do that you, you won't be able to do, even though those of you who, those teenagers, I know you guys who are in sports and DECA and part of the arts, it's so disappointing that those are threatened. But can, let's see that within that disappointment, there's opportunity for deeper relationships. There's opportunity for new friendships because what happens is a group of people bond through adversity. I kind of jumped ahead on this illustration earlier in the summer, but as earlier in the sermon, but, but the, the events that we've been through as Americans, we would never ask for them again, but they cause social cohesion. They, they, they cause us to bond and our country needs healing. Our country needs unity. I know everyone says that. We need to come together, but then everyone's disruptive right after they say that. So I, I heard something very, very hopeful Friday. Now, I want, I want you to know this is about to be a cringe moment because I know that if I say the name of politicians in here, like some of you, it just binds you up on the inside. So I said, I'm never gonna say a name of a politician, but I have to because this is almost a miraculous thing that I heard with my ears. Vice President Pence said thank you to Nancy Pelosi. Now, this is something that, that hearing this 
idea of cooperation as legislation was passed Friday and Saturday will be signed into law Sunday that is for the American people. Listen, I just say that God can work through tragedy to bring our country together so there's less of the right and the left and blue states and red states and there's more what is best for the people. Let's put aside our posturing. Let's put aside our positioning and let's say what is best for the people. And what if God could take what the enemy meant as evil by taking some kind of global pandemic and it can be part of the answer to our prayers to bring us back together. And we, as a church body, we can come together, come together around the gospel, come together around the kingdom of God. All right, here's number three. Number three, and when I tell you number three, it's gonna be a phrase that's going to feel uncomfortable, especially to the modern mind and the modern modern sensibilities, but it's a phrase that for those of us who have been around Christianity for a long time, we've been comfortable with in the past. So here is the phrase. Number three, apply the blood. Apply the blood. Now I know that modern sensitivities, which are an important consideration, I'm not making fun of those, I'm just saying that we've been positioned to that phrase about apply the blood, or you may have heard this from some of the older saints, plead the blood of Jesus. Now this is an important phrase and sometimes phrases become part of our vernacular and we don't really know how to explain them. We just kind of know what they mean internally. So it's easy for some of us who have been around Christianity, we can say like, let's just plead the blood in that situation. And we kind of understand what that means, but the younger Christians are like, what are they talking about here? That sounds odd. That sounds strange. And it is. But I want to unfold this because you're going to see it clearly in Exodus 12. One of the great things Jesus did for us is because he was the one sacrifice of all time, he eradicated the primitive practice in most religions and in our religion of animal sacrifice. We love our animals, and I'm so glad that we now don't sacrifice them as part of our worship. And that's something that 2,000 years ago that was eradicated, uh, and, and really it had stopped several hundred years before that, if my timeline's correct from memory. But Jesus made it clear. And so thousands of years ago, when we read Exodus 12, that was still part of the people's thinking and their actions and how they connected with God. What we now know because of Jesus in the New Testament, it was all pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to God. So we, we know that it was that story that was real pointing to the real story. So now I, I want us to see that the, the wrath of God was coming upon his people. And God said, I want you to do something unusual on this astonishing day. I want you to take the blood and put it over the doorpost of your house and the blood will cover you. Again, this is pointing to a future. And here's where that scripture says that Exodus 12, seven, they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house where they eat them. Verse 13, go to verse 13. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. 
Now look at the end of verse 13. I'm in Exodus 12, 13. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now I wanna be really clear about something. I do not think that the coronavirus is the judgment of God. I do not believe that. One of the reasons, there's many reasons for that, but let me just be crystal clear about that. Good people, some that I, that I know from a secondhand experience, not firsthand, I don't know them firsthand, but secondhand, I know of good godly people who, who have this virus. And so it is that the judgment of God is not upon good people who deal with the effects of a fallen world. We have a fallen world where unfortunately negative things happen. So what we find in Exodus 12, 7 and Exodus 12, 13 is there's a principle that's applied that when the blood is applied, the wrath of God passes over. Now I want you to go to Romans chapter three. Let's go back to Romans chapter three. And I know it's a little difficult if you're following online because you don't have the visual aids to see the scripture, but you have a Bible or you have, your, you have a, a browser right now. Go to Romans chapter three, verse 24 through 26. Again, Romans 3, 24 through 26. This is a clear connection back to Exodus chapter 12. A clear connection to that story that brings life to us today. And here it is. This is what Jesus did for us. They, being believers, us, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, righteousness because in his restraint, now here's a key phrase, you can see it on the screen if you're in the house right now. Verse 12, the Passover was a sign of what Jesus has done for us. He passes over our sin. He passes over our mistake. He passes over what we deserve. And we're covered not in our righteousness, not in our discipline, not in our self-will. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see the things that would disqualify us from heaven or disqualify us from righteousness. He sees that we are covered by what Jesus did for us. So when we say we're covered by his blood and we plead the blood and we apply the blood, even though in its own by itself, that's an odd, difficult phrase. When you understand the scripture, it's a beautiful phrase. It's saying Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves. This is powerful. Going on, verse 26, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. That's us. So we know this is we are not under the wrath of God because we're covered by the blood. We're not under the wrath of God because God has covered our doorposts with the blood. He has covered our actions with the blood. He has covered our position with God with the blood. So now how can this apply to something like the coronavirus threat? When we say, I wanna pray the blood of Jesus, 
I want to plead the blood of Jesus. I want to speak the blood of Jesus over this sickness, over this disease, over this virus. We're saying the same Jesus that covered the wrath of God, the same Jesus that covered us from what we deserve is the same Jesus we're counting on to cover us from the effects of this virus or the effects of this disease. This is not just some kind of lazy phrase like, oh, Lord, we pray that you'd cover us in your blood or something that we just say because it's a bad habit. This is a reality that we're saying, we want the covering of Jesus. We want the protection of Jesus. The same Jesus that brought us salvation, the same Jesus that covered us from the wrath of God is the same Jesus we're praying right now to keep us from disease, to keep us from sickness, to keep us from a pandemic, to keep us from uh, societal chaos. And so when we close the service in just a moment and we pray and we're gonna call upon the name and the blood of Jesus, that's one of the things we're believing. Amen? All right. So one, follow instructions. You with me? Two, gather the family. Three, apply the blood. That's why it's a good thing, whether you're here today or whether you're online, that you're taking time today to say, we're, we're just putting some time aside to honor Jesus. We're, we're, we're placing our faith in him. And then here's the last point or the fourth point, experience his deliverance. This is what is upon us and before us. A chance to see God engage. A chance to see God show up. A chance to see God intervene. We are people who are aware of the news. We're aware of health threats. We are people who embrace science. We are people who are thankful for researchers. We are thankful for the medical professionals. We are thankful for civic leaders who warn us and protect us. Come on, it's not, it is not a, a lack of faith to have common sense. We're people who follow instructions, just like Moses said. I want you to choose an animal. I want you to get the family together. I want you to eat quickly. I want you to, you know, have your staff and have your sandals on. So we are not too prideful. We're not too good when we need to stay in our house or we need to wash our hands or we need to avoid the sick. It's not unspiritual to accept instruction from the government. It's not becoming when we mock leaders who are trying their best to combat the unknown. But at the same time, while we live in that realm in the natural, and we say in the natural, we're going to obey the leaders God's put over us. We don't trust in those leaders completely because our trust is in the name of the Lord. We don't trust human wisdom as the final answer. God may use human wisdom, but human wisdom's not the final answer. Our God is sovereign. He's the creator. He's watching over the development of this planet and the development of the people who inhabit this planet. And so Exodus chapter 13, verse three, when God had delivered the people, he said something, and I want to say this to you today. In Exodus chapter 13, verse three, then Moses said to the people, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. For the Lord brought you out here by the strength of his hand. If you're in the sanctuary, you can see that on the screen. Look at that second to last phrase, by the strength of his hand. And I just want to declare to you that yes, this is a time of great caution. 
This is a time of great response. This is a time of great concern. But it's also a time where we can believe that we're going to see the mighty, powerful, strong hand of the Lord. That God is a deliverer. God is one who engages. His arm is not too short to reach us where we're at. His arm is not... Uh, powerless to overcome the challenges before us. And so we are people that we are following instructions, but we're gathering the people we love. We're gathering the family. And we are people who are pleading for the blood of Jesus and the covering of Jesus to protect us and to guide us and to be our companion and to be our covering. And we are people who are expecting his deliverance. I'm not expecting things to get worse. I'm expecting things to get better. I'm not expecting that the death toll is going to be as bad as the worst prognosis is. I believe it's going to be better than people expect. I believe that people are going to respond better than people anticipate. I believe believe that we're going to see the salvation of God come and the hand of God come and no political party will get the credit and no government leader will get the credit and, and no religious leader will get the credit. The people will look to the one who can reach down into their hearts and who can reveal himself and protect them and guide them and be their companion and be their friend. This is our God and this is the God who is going to intervene in the days that are ahead. I love what Paul wrote to the church of Romans that is found in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And I want to speak this over you. I want to speak this over those of you who are watching this right now. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I want you to know that Satan, yes, he's alive and he's active and he has a domain and he has a rule, but he doesn't have the final say. Our God is active in the story of this planet and the story of this earth. And though Satan might sometimes strike our hill, he will crush, Jesus will crush his head. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I want you to expect in the coming days, miracles. I want you to expect the supernatural. I want you to expect seeing the hand of God in ways we've not seen before so that we're not just victims. We're not just people who are just responding to whatever evil is in the world. We are people who our God is strengthening, strengthening us. He is sustaining us. He is guiding us and our faith and our hope is in him. And I want to invite you to stand with me. This is a national day of prayer and I want us to pray together right now before we have a response time with Pastor Aubrey. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that as the leadership of, of the United States has called us to a place of prayer on this day, on March 15th, 2020. We thank you, God, for the courage that we've heard of St. Patrick, who, who he went to an, a land that was not his own, God, and he depended upon you to bring the gospel to Ireland, God. Lord, I pray, God, that, Lord, we would have that same kind of fervor, that, that anointing that inspired him to face the days ahead, to cooperate when we need to cooperate, to stand in conviction when we need to be people of conviction, to gather the ones we love, 
together the ones who might feel they're without a family and to include them in the story of God. I pray that we would be Jesus-centered people, gospel-centered people. I pray, Lord, that we would apply the blood. We would apply the blood to what we say, to how we think, to the way we respond, that we wouldn't just respond in our own strength, but we would respond in the strength of our Lord. We would let the gospel permeate our being. We would let Jesus move in us, through us, around us, and so that we can see what Satan has meant for evil in the United States of America, what Satan has meant for evil in Europe and Asia and around the world, that our God will crush Satan's feet and we will see his kingdom come with new authority. We would see his kingdom come with new power and what was a time of dread and what what was a time of fear would become a time of victory. Remember what the Lord said through Moses. He said, remember this day. Remember this day when you came out of Egypt. Remember this day when you came out of isolation. Remember this day when you came out of anxiety. Remember this day when you came out of fear. Remember this day when we overcame the coronavirus, not by might, not by power, but by humility, by the spirit of the Lord. And so we pray, as the scripture told us, that if If my people will pray and humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God said, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. So I want you to pray with me for a healing in our land. God, we pray for a healing of this virus, this virus that's attacking the respiratory system, this virus that's attacking the elderly, this virus that's attacking the sick. We We know that Satan wants to take out the weak and the vulnerable, but Lord, we pray against this in the spirit realm, and we pray that it would retreat in Jesus' name. We pray that it would not spread. We pray that it would not grow. We pray that it would retreat. It would confound the wise. It would confound the experts. And Lord, we're just asking because we're believing. It's easy not to believe, but why not believe? Would you believe with me? Would you believe with me that God can do something great, that God can do something unexpected, that God can do something powerful? God, we pray that faith would replace fear and that we would be your people and let it be in the power powerful name of Jesus we pray can we just give a hand clap of praise and thanks to our God come on can we thank him for the victory we thank you ahead of time yours is a victory yours is the kingdom yours is the authority and the power and you're going to help us overcome we love you Lord well